Welcome or welcome back to the company of the cats. Hi! This is a predictions video about the winter winter and as you can see from the title it's about Justin Massey and his trip to Bravos and most likely to the disputed lands. The first part of this video is a very specific prediction so there is always a very high possibility it will sound a bit bonkers but I will explain. Winds of winter spoilers obviously in case you haven't read the published chapters and let's go. One of the published chapters from the Winds of Winter is Theon's first chapter. In this chapter, Stannis receives Tyhon Astoris, a Bravosi envoy of the Iron Bank, and they enter into an agreement. Stannis plans on sending Tyhon back to the wall so he does not get caught up in the battle. And Jon Snow gave a message to Stannis through Tyhon about Arnulf Karstark planning treachery, and Arnulf, along with his son and grandsons, got arrested. While Stannis is preparing for the battle against Roose Bolton's army, led by Hostin Frey, he sends Justin Massey and Arya Stark, actually Jane Poole, back to the wall to her brother as a thank you for Jon's warning. Stannis also ordered Justin to go with Taiho to Bravos afterward, where Massey will use the money given to him by the Iron Bank of Bravos to hire sellswords until he has a force no less than 20,000 strong, and then sail back to Westeros. Finally, he ordered that if he dies during the battle, Massey is still to do as instructed and use the army to place Serene on the Iron Throne. At that point in the storyline, it is obvious that Stannis isn't aware of major events and isn't able to communicate with people via Crow since he's on the move. He isn't aware that Jon is dead, he has no idea about Young Griff and the Golden Company, and obviously he doesn't know about the fake Arya. In general, the whole situation is a mess and Justin is in a perfect position to learn about all the events, but like everyone else, he will not be able to warn Stannis and his only choice will be to go with Taiho to Bravos, since these are the orders Stannis gave. Add all the information he might get from Taiho, because we know Taiho is aware of what is happening at the Stepstones, for example, and we do not know what else he might be aware of. While in Bravos, he will talk and collect money from the Iron Bank, and he needs to find 20,000 men minimum, as well as ships, which is a huge problem on its own. The majority of sellsort companies are not available right now, and not all of them have the numbers to raise 20,000 men. The Golden Company is already in Westeros supporting Young Griff and is one of the biggest with 10k men, something that Justin will most likely find out during his journey. Many of them are involved in the Slaver's Bay campaign, and all of them have a lot less than 10k men, so I'm guessing most sellsword companies have around 500 to 3000 men and aren't Golden Company size. The Golden Company is out, and the Second Sons, the Windblown, the Long Lances, and the Company of the God are out as well, since all of them are in meeting. We know about three other companies established by Westerosi. Two of them were founded by Northmen, the Wolfpack and the Company of the Rose. And there is also the Stormbreakers founded by Oscar Tali after the dance. I truly think that if these companies are still a thing, because we do not know if they still exist, they might agree on helping them, especially if the payment is good. And then we have four other companies that we know of, Dragged Standard, the Men of Valor, the Maiden's Men and the Gallant Men. I'm guessing there might be more we aren't aware of, but how many are there and also how easy would it be to find 20,000 men in a reasonable time frame? Because they are in need of men now, not in a year. Plus, most of the sellsword companies that aren't already in Slaver's Bay are in the disputed lands, because this is the place where constant wars take place because of the conflicts between Mir, Lys and Tyros. So Justin will go there for sure, and additionally, ships and cell sales are found in the Stepstones. I am fairly sure Justin will be in a shipwreck during his trip to the Disputed Lands and he will survive the trip. And I know, I know, what the fuck are you talking about? This is way too specific. But Justin falls under a very specific archetype that follows a very specific pattern and I would be shocked if it breaks with him. Because this isn't something Martin does story parallel and symbolism wise. So I doubt it will be different with Justin. 
This archetype is the drowned fool. Throughout the story, we have countless fools, metaphorical and actual ones, that have almost drowned but have somehow miraculously survived. After this event, we see a noticeable change in their character, with them being aware of things and information the rest of the characters around them are not. Patchface is the most obvious example, but he isn't the only one. We have found the most splendid fool, he wrote Crescent, a fortnight before he was to return home from his fruitless mission. Only a boy, yet nibble as a monkey, and witty as a dozen courtiers. He juggles and riddles and does magic, and he can sing prettily in four tongues. We have bought his freedom and hope to bring him home with us. Robert would be delighted with him, and perhaps in time he will even teach Stannis how to laugh. Even for a fool, Pat's face was a sorry thing. Perhaps once he could evoke gales of laughter with a quip, but the sea had taken that power from him, along with half his wits and all his memory. He was soft and obese, subject to twitches and trembles, incoherent as often as not. The girl was the only one who laughed at him now, the only one who cared if he lived or died. Patsface is a character that I am very fond of, and no, Sirin isn't the only one who cares. I care. And I'm not ready for his death, which I think is quite imminent. Patch was the most splendid fool. He was so good that people thought he could make even Sunny's laugh. Maester Crescent here points out that the sea took his power, but in reality, after his drowning, Patchface gained another power, prophetic dreams. Patchface is the most literal fool we have in the story and is involved in the long game, even if those around him do not realize it. The other very apparent one is Aaron. Even though Aaron wasn't a literal fool, the description we get very clearly paints him as one. At six and ten, he called himself a man, but in truth he had been a sack of wine with legs. He would sing, he would dance, but not the finger dance, never again. He would jape and jabber and make mock, he played the pipes, he juggled and rode horses, and could drink more than all the winches, the bottles and half the harlows too. The drowned god gives every man a gift, even him, no man could piss longer or further than Aaron Greyjoy, as he proved at every feast. Young I was and vain, Aaron Greyjoy said, but the sea washed my follies and my vanities away. That man drowned, nephew. His lungs filled with seawater and the fish ate the scales of his eyes. When I rose again, I saw clearly. We see again the same story as that of Patches, losing their wit but gaining knowledge. Unlike the previous two, Dontos Hollard has a slightly different story but the basics are the same. A cask from the cellars, I'll see him drown in it. No, you can't. What did you say? Please, Sansa said. I only meant it would be luck, your grace, to... To kill a man on your name day. The girl speaks truly, the hound rasped. What a man sows on his name day, he rips throughout the year. His voice was flat, as if he did not care a whit whether the king believed him or no. Could it be true? Sansa had not known. It was just something she said desperate to avoid punishment. Unhappy Joffrey shifted in his seat and flicked his finger at Sir Dontos. Take him away. I'll have him killed on the morrow, the fool. He is, Sansa said. A fool. You're so clever to see it. He better fitted to be a fool than a knight, isn't he? You ought to dress him in motley and make him clown for you. He doesn't deserve the mercy of a quick death. Perhaps you're not so stupid as mother says. Did you hear my lady Dontos? From this day on, you're my new fool. You can sleep with Moonboy and dress in motley. Dontos became a fool in name, but in reality he's way more aware of things now, and because of his job as a fool, he is learning way more information than the people in his proximity realize. He was willing to help Sansa, and he knew what was going on in and out of the Red Keep. I deserve that, though. I know it's queer, but all those years I was a knight, I was truly a fool, and now that I am a fool, I think, I think I may find it in me to be a knight again, sweet lady. And all because of you, your grace, your courage. You saved me, not only from Joffrey, but from myself. His voice dropped. The singers say there was another fool once, who was the greatest knight of all. He saw a solemn oath before the gods, 
Then I will put myself in your hands, sir. But how will I know when it is time to go? Will you send me another note? Serdontos glanced about anxiously. The risk is too great. You must come here to the Godswood as often as you can. This is the safest place. The only safe place. Nowhere else. Not in your chambers, nor mine, nor on the steps, nor in the yard. Even if it seems we are alone, the stones have ears in the Red Keep. And only here we may talk freely. Only here, Sansa said. I'll remember. I hear all sorts of things as a fool that I never heard when I was a knight. They talk as though I'm not there, and he leaned close, breathing his whiny breath right in her face. The spider pays in gold for any little trifle. I think Moonboy has been his for years. Sir Dondos again follows the exact same pattern, a fool that got almost drowned and now understands and knows things that most people around him do not. We see the same story again with Davos before and after the Blackwater. We are fools to meet them on the Blackwater, Davos thought. The warrior must have been listening. Blackbeth and Lady Maria slumped into the side of Lady Shame within an instant of each other, ramming her fore and aft with such force that men were thrown off the deck of Lady of Silk three boats away. Davos almost bit his tongue off when his teeth jarred together, he spat out blood. Next time close your mouth, you fool. Forty years at sea and yet it was the first time he'd rammed another ship. And then when he is found at the spears of the Merlin King, we have this instance. You up on the rock, who are you? A smuggler who rose above himself, Davos thought. A fool who loved his king too much and forgot his gods. You are still warm, sir. I feel your heart thumpity thumping. Can it be true? The sea that swallowed you has beat you up again? Davos was reminded of Pat's face, Princess Irene's lackwit fool. He had gone into the sea as well, and when he came out, he was mad. Am I mad as well? Davos stayed on the spears of the Merlin King for many days, and he was hallucinated that the seven were talking to him. But again, the change came after that. Davos became the hand of the king. He started to learn how to read and write, and most importantly, he separated from Stannis and went to White Harbor, where he found out not only that Rickon is alive, but that some of the Northmen are actively trying to remove the Boltons and plan to support Stannis if he brings Rickon back. Davos is aware of all this, but Stannis is not. We see again all the people around him not being aware of major plottings that he knows about. Meaning the same story, a guy declared himself a fool and then became the hand of the king and a major player, even though the majority of the people do not take him into consideration because of his low birth and past. Apart from Aaron, we have another fool of a great joy, Theon. Theon's shift didn't start with Ramsay, but with his baptism. This is the point in the story where Theon's transformation starts. And then he has a second and a way more drastic one. Theon was a lean, dark youth of 19 who found everything amusing. He laughed, put his boot on the head and kicked it away. Brand looked away and pretended not to have heard, but he could feel Greyjoy's eyes on him. No doubt he was smiling. He smiled a lot, as if the word were a secret joke that only he was clever enough to understand. Theon was a person who found everything amusing and was fond of drinking, women and jests, and even his horse was named Smiler. After his baptism, he wasn't as carefree as before and he slowly started to realize that he might not be cut for the things he wanted. People didn't take him that seriously, even after his betrayal of the Starks and most importantly Rob, whom he considered his best friend. Theon could taste bile at the back of his throat and his stomach was a nest of snake twinning and snapping at each other. If he crept back to Winterfell empty-handed, he might as well dress in motley, henceforth and wear a pointed hat. The whole North would know him for a fool. Asa was laughing at something one of her men had said, but broke off his approach. Why? This is the Prince of Winterfell. Or is it Prince of Fools? Your prize will be the doom of you. Krakens, rise from the sea, Theon. Or did you forget that during your years among the wolves? 
Our strength is in our longships. My wooden peace pot sits close enough to the sea for supplies and fresh men to reach me whenever they are needful. But Winterfell is hundreds of leagues inland, and every man in a thousand leagues is your enemy now. Make no mistake, you made certain of that when you mounted those heads on your gatehouse. Asa shook her head. How could you be such a bloody fool? And even though before Ramsay he didn't drown, there is a very interesting part in his last chapter as Theon. Theon felt as though he were drowning. Why am I surprised, he thought bleakly. His father had forsaken him, his uncles, his sister, even that wretched creature Rick. Why should his men prove any more loyal? There was nothing to say, nothing to do. He could only stand there beneath the great grey walls and the hard white sky, sword in hand, waiting. And this is his final drowning. It is not a literal one, but he finally understands that what is going on and that he was indeed a fool to put his trust and try to impress people that didn't give two craps about him. He had run before, years ago, it seemed, when he still had some strength in him, when he had still been defiant. That time it had been Kira with a kiss. She told him she had stolen them, that she knew a postern gate that were never guarded. Take me back to Winterfell, my lord, she begged, pale-faced and trembling. I don't know the way, I can't escape alone. Come with me, please. And so he had. The gaoler was dead drunk in the puddle of wine, with his breeches down around his ankles. The dungeon door was open and the postern gate had been unguarded, just as he has said. They waited for the moon to go behind a cloud and slipped from the castle and splashed across the weeping water, stumbling over stones, half frozen by the icy stream. On the far side, he had kissed her. You saved us, he said. Fool, fool. Theon right now is a person that people do not take him into consideration at all. But he is once again himself. He remembers things. And he knows that Wyman isn't with the Boltons, that Arya is not Arya, that Bran and Rickon are alive, and so on. He is more aware of stuff and situations than before, because everyone thinks so lowly of him and do not take him into consideration. So as you can see, there is a pattern, a very specific one on that, and looking at Justin, I think he is also heading down this path, not in a Pat's face or a Theon situation, but a Davos one. Justin is a person that people described as pleasing in manner, ready to smile, and often telling jokes with a glib tongue. And we have two nicknames for him, Prancing Fool and Smiler. God of my fathers, if you can hear me in your watery holds beneath the waves, grant me just one small throwing axe. The drowned god did not answer, he seldom did. That was the trouble with gods. Have you seen Sir Justin? That Prancing Fool? What do you want him, Kant? If it's a fuck you need, I'm more of a man than Massey. Horp and Massey aspired to your father's seat. Massey wants the wildling princess too. He once served my brother Robert as squire and acquired his appetite for female flesh. Horp would take Val to wife if I commanded, but it is battle he lasts for. As a squire he dreamed of a white cloak, but Cersei Lannister spoke against him and Robert passed him over. Perhaps rightly. Sir Richard is too fond of killing. Which would you have as Lord Winterfell snow? The smiler or the slayer? Oh, leave off, Godry, said Justin Massey. A loose limb fleshy night with a ready smile and a mauve flaxen hair. Massey had been one of the wrong way rangers. We all know what a big giant sword you have, I'm sure. No need for you to wave it in our faces yet again. The only thing waving here is your tongue, Massey. So, he fits the fool archetype. People think of him as a fool and soft. They do not take him into consideration now that his house it was taken from him. And on top of that, he is in the perfect position to learn about everything that is going on, as I said before. He ticks the boxes, like the rest of the characters I mentioned, and we know for a fact that the weather isn't ideal and that many fleets have been in wrecks. The right conditions are all there. I will eat it, his bells rang merrily. 
we will march into the sea and out again. Under the waves we will ride seahorses and mermaids will blow sea cells to announce our coming, oh, oh, oh. This rhyme of Pat's face takes place when people were talking about rescuing the wildlings and the Night's Watchmen trapped in Hardhome. In general, what was going on there was quite similar to what Stannis was going through during his march to Winterfell. Very harsh winter, and along with other difficulties, people resorted to cannibalism in both situations. Pat's face rhymes tend to be kind out of nowhere, but not that random. Here, for example, they are talking about an important mission but whoever chooses to lead it is going to be a fool. And Stannis assigns an important mission to a person that people call a fool. I am fairly sure other people in the fandom must have translated this rhyme similarly. Either way, let's analyze the rhyme word for word. Are you offering yourself, sir? Do I look so foolish? Pat's face jumped up. I will lead it. Pat's face will not lead it, but Pat's is a fool. So a fool will lead it. And both Justin and Davos fit this archetype as I explained above. We will march into the sea and out again. This line to me sounds like we will drown but we will come out again. So a shipwreck looks like the most logical scenario in my opinion. Pat uses the sea as a mirror of sorts. When he talks about things happening under the sea or under the waves, he talks about stuff that will happen in the future. Pat uses the sea kind of like Mel uses the flames as a lens. So the next phrase is a prediction. Under the waves we will ride seahorses. Here we are talking about sigils, I think. Very often we see people in dreams, visions and prophecies being represented by their house sigil or animal in some cases, and I think it is the same here. The seahorse is the sigil of House Velaryon, and we do have a very intriguing person with a crew and warships under his command in the story, the Bastard of Driftmark, Oren Waters. And the warship of the Velaryon fleet during the Blackwater was named Seahorse, and is one of the ships we do not know the captain or the fate of, actually. I will explain in a moment why it makes sense for our end to rejoin Stannis, but I want to finish with Patsy's rhyme first. And mermaids will blow sea cells to announce our coming, oh, oh, oh. Again, I think we are talking about sigils here. House Manderley controls the biggest port in the north and is actively plotting against the Bolton and has been in contact with Davos. We have seen the Manderleys in another rhyme of Pat's, under the sea, the mermen feast on starfish soup and all the serving men are crabs. This line is obviously about the plotting with Davos and the feast with a phrase. The mermen feast on starfish soup is about the plotting against the Boltons, whose sigil resembles a starfish, and the fact that all this plan started during the feast he hosted for the phrase. The all the serving men are crabs is again about the sigil of House Borel, and how both the phrase and Davos passed from Sisterton to reach White Harbor, with Davos being literally delivered to Wyman's court by Godric when he could have easily give him to Cersei or kill him himself. So I'm fairly sure the mermaids here refer to the granddaughters of Wyman Wanderley, Wyla and Winifred. It is obvious they are aware at least partially of Wyman's plan, because unlike Doran, Wyman explained to them what and how. And right now they are the ones at White Harbor since Wyman is at Winterfell. If either Davos or Justin arrives at White Harbor with recon and reinforcements and Auren is with them, they would be the ones to play the middleman along with Wiles and Marlon, who from what I understand are still in White Harbor too. I'm not sure, correct me if I'm wrong. So yeah, I think this little jiggle of Pat's face is about Justin and Auren arriving north and Wyla and Winifred communicating with Wyman at Winterfell. We know that when Cersei was arrested, Auren took the new ships of the royal fleet and left. We do not know exactly where he is, but in the Ariane chapter from the Winds of Winter, 
Valena told of a new pirate king on Torturer's Deep at the Stepstones with the name Lord of the Waters, who commands three decked warships. From the moment this chapter was published, many readers have theorized this to be Oren, with the title Lord of the Waters being a play on Waters, his bastard surname, and the traditional title for the head of House Valarion, Lord of the Tides. I do think that this person is most likely Oren, but if he is, what is his plan? Stay there as a pirate or join the ranks of one of the many candidates for the throne? Auren joined Stannis and supported his brother during the Blackwater, so I'm guessing he must care to some degree about his house. So abandoning them while they have a six-year-old for a lord doesn't seem like the best option. Plus, I think that having all this set up for him, knowing what is going on in many different places because sailors and pirates talk, and having in his command and warships fully equipped would be such a waste story-wise if he was just to stay at the Stepstones pirating. So I think he will join someone. I have seen people say he will join young Grifor Daenerys because he is of Valyrian descent, but he really doesn't know any of these people's plan as far as we know. He knows they exist, at least he knows about Danny, and he must have heard about Grif too, but if he is the person at the Stepstones, why stay there and not joining Grif from the start? The Golden Company has men on the Isles, why did he declare himself a pirate if he is to join Grif? If Lord of the Waters is indeed Auren, it seems like he's waiting for the right moment to join a side, as well as to collect more information. Auren is already familiar with Stannis and even supported him. Of all the candidates for the throne right now, Stannis is the one that doesn't care about birth. He made Davos his hand because Davos is competent. If there is a place where Auren will be recognized and appreciated for his skills, it would be with Stannis. Even more if Davos has a say in it, Considering he already thought that Auren is way more competent than other lords Stannis assigned as commanders for the Blackwater. Auren is also pretty transparent, he didn't care about Cersei or the Lannisters and did whatever he could so he could stay alive after he was captured. Yes, Stannis will have a problem with that, but I can see him coming into an agreement if others pressure him and most importantly if he isn't dead until then. Plus Auren's idea to build the ships led to Cersei's postponement of her death and the Iron Bank having an agreement with Stannis. All in all, if Auren declares to join someone and not stay a pirate, I'm gonna bet on Stannis. It would also be great story-wise if the bastard who stole the royal fleet and people consider a pirate follows his house motto and stays loyal to his lord. Right now, it's quite crowded at the Stepstones. According to Pycelle's beliefs and Valena's claims, Auren is most likely there. And Salador's son is also there with his remaining ships, as we have seen in both Davos and Arya's chapters. And let's not forget the Golden Company, who have split their forces and half are in Cape Wrath, while the rest are at the Stepstones. And Davos thinks that Edric is also at the Stepstones and not in Essos yet. As I mentioned before, Justin will most likely have to go to the disputed lands so he can find men like Stannis commanded him to. And if the pattern with the drowned fool continues, the possibility of him ending up at the Stepstones is big. Justin is familiar Justin is familiar with both Sun and Auren, will most likely have some gold, and is a very well-liked and persuasive guy and could make them rejoin Stannis, I think. If not Sun, then at least Auren. Plus, I really cannot think of what else the riding seahorses could mean if not going north with Auren's fleet. In general, Justin's journey is quite important and we have to see some things, but there will be no new POVs in Winds, so we will have to see them from an already existing POV. In Bravos, we will see them through Arya. Arya is learning all sorts of things about Westeros and not just from sailors. So if Justin catches her attention, 
she will definitely follow him and eavesdrop on his conversations. And Justin knows things that will catch her attention for sure. If she hears that Justin Massey accompanied Arya Stark to the wall and found her brother dead, Arya will most definitely be, what the fuck is going on? And if she hears that Justin accompanied a girl who people claimed was Arya, and when they reached the wall, her brother who died and was resurrected said it wasn't Arya but Jane, she will be even more like, what the fuck? This is something I'm not really sure how it will go, because the timeline is not exactly linear. Justin will learn about John's death, but will he be there while or after his resurrection or not? Arya learning about John's death is something that could trigger her return to Westeros and is the piece of information that would make her leave the House of Black and White. Hearing all sorts of stories from Justin and going undercover with them is quite plausible, I think, since not only Massey is going back to Westeros, but is going north. If Arya gets triggered by the things happening in Westeros, returning with Massey is her best choice, I believe. And the last person I want to discuss is Davos. Davos was told to find Recon, and for the life of me, I never understood what exactly did the Manderleys provide him with. Silver and food so he can find a ship and crew? Did they give him a crew and a ship and wanted him because he is an experienced smuggler? I really don't get it. If they didn't give him anything apart from money, a ship and food, he will need to find a crew. The three sisters are the closest and an easy place to find other smugglers, but he will need people willing to go to Skagos. Not only the waters and the weather around Skagos are difficult, to say the least, people are also afraid of the Skagosi, wildlings, smugglers, pirates and slavers included. Davos, the moment he learned the place, thought, sweet Jesus, we are doomed. If he needs to find an available, competent and crazy enough crew to join him in Skagos, the possibility of him visiting the Stepstones is big. So coming in contact, either with Justin or Auren, isn't that far-fetched or crazy. All this if indeed has to find the crew himself, because as I said, I really didn't understand everything was quite vague. I think I've said everything I want to say. I believe that Justin will join forces with Auren, and in the meantime, he will also be in a shipwreck. I wouldn't find it weird if Arya used him to return to Westeros, but even if she doesn't return with him, the information she will learn from him, most specifically about Jon's death, will be the last straw for her and a big reason for her comeback, I think. Is Davos gonna be involved? I don't know. Would I find it weird? Nope. Definitely no. If you have ideas and predictions about Justin and what might happen during his trip, uh, comment down below, because it is a very interesting point in the story, I think, since it already involves many characters and might come to involve even more, like Auren. If you enjoyed the video, don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks a lot for watching, and until the next video, bye!